All right, then. Uh, hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm talking for the third time with Mr. Berge Fagerli, who um, recently has done something really cool that has sparked a lot of debates and a lot of discussions on Facebook about a certain zero-carb experiment and has released an, an e-book and a recipe book on that topic as well. Um, and we touched on this at the end of the episode and hopefully, this time, technical difficulties won't get in the way. So with that, Berge, thank you so much for um, being on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So um, first, maybe let's just um, yeah jump into the basics. Um, what did you do exactly, or not exactly, but roughly, what did you do and what inspired you to start this little experiment of yours? Um, well, in short, what I did was eat an all-meat diet at uh, first, uh, just as an, a 30-day experiment. Um, but since I felt so good on it, and I started experiencing a lot of um, positive adaptations, I just decided I would keep going for uh, another 30 days, and then... Um, that turned into almost 90 days. So I had to cut it short around the 10 week mark or so, uh, simply to, because <clears throat> I got some blood tests and um, uh, I wanted to see, since I didn't have any previous blood tests for a long time, I wanted to see how it would affect uh, various markers going back to carbs in the diet again. And also to see if, if I could go back to a carb-based diet and, and um, how that would work after having been eaten, uh, eating almost only meat for um, uh, around 70, 75 days. And so what inspired me to do this, um, I should say that <clears throat> I have uh, previously and quite unsuccessfully tried to do a ketogenic diet and, and uh, that didn't work at all for me and um, which was kind of uh, confusing because I had I had all the, the should you say the, the, the requirements for for making a ketogenic diet work for me I have a lower carb tolerance um, I, I seem to over secrete insulin um, uh, at a given carb intake and, and so where my, my <clears throat> where my insulin sensitivity is quite good uh, since I'm quite lean and I, I train a lot uh, so my cells should be like um, at a high capacity for accepting incoming glucose uh, but my my body seems intent on overproducing insulin at a certain amount of carbs so I, I suffer from uh, reactive hypoglycemia all the time basically I also have genetic markers that um, obviously, the, the, the gene analysis <coughs> technology is still in its infancy, but according to various genes, um, I should be able to handle uh, a high fat intake quite well, and I should uh, I have a pretty poor blood sugar regulation according to the gene tests, which incidentally coincide with uh, my practical experience. <clears throat> and the last point is that my ancestry is uh, of the, I'm, I'm of Viking ancestry and my ancestors uh, are ori originating from Scandinavia from uh, several generations back <clears throat> and if you look at, at their traditional diet it was uh, you know like a moderate carb diet most of the year and we would uh, have access to like low calorie density or energy density foods uh, like berries and, and potatoes and that kind of stuff and um, uh, during winter time it was usually since at that time a few hundred years ago there wasn't any way to store uh, plant foods throughout the winter so we would have to subsist on um, some fermented foods obviously but mostly uh, mostly game meat and, and fish that we would uh, hunt and, and fish. So there are several reasons why I should be functioning quite well on, on a low-carb diet uh, with a higher protein and fat intake, but 
for some reason I didn't. I didn't uh, have any of the satiating benefits, so, so I was hungry all the time. Uh, <clears throat> I had mental fog. Um, uh, my dream performance suffered. Um, I just couldn't seem to quite adapt to uh, a regular ketogenic diet. And, and for those who listeners who don't know exactly what a ketogenic diet is, to generate sufficient ketones to to uh, achieve ketogenic state, you need to limit your protein intake to around 1.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight, and and uh, you need to eat at least 70% of calories from fats. So, um, or obviously you could go <clears throat> in a calorie deficit um, and achieve keto ketosis, but you still need to limit protein uh, in order for protein not to convert into glucose uh, through gluconeogenesis. So there there are various rules that need to be followed if you if you are to 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 do a strict ketogenic diet and and, and that just didn't work for me. <clears throat> right. So yeah. <clears throat> so what what uh, inspired me to try the zero carb diet was. Uh, I listened to a podcast with Dr. Sean Baker, and he's uh, you know he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, so he's he's getting quite a name for himself now. <clears throat> he's a 50 year old surgeon, uh, master's world record holder in uh, recently the concept two indoor roller, where he's you know his his performances are are way beyond uh, the guys in their 20s and 30s, so so he's quite impressive um, feats. And uh, he's been following uh, an all-meat diet for almost a year. Before that, he was on a ketogenic diet, and he said the same thing. He didn't feel quite well on the ketogenic diet. And when he switched to an all-meat diet, his his performance improved, and he just felt so much better. And he, he has seen the same thing in, in many of his patients and even in his father. So I thought, well, maybe that's for me because, you know, I love meat. And... Um, this sounds more like intuitively logical uh, compared to a ketogenic diet where I felt like I had to force feed on, on fats and, and and restrict my protein intake just, just to avoid um, inhibiting ketosis. Um, and I, I obviously did my due diligence first, did some uh, research, uh, looked into uh, like zero-carb diets and its prevalence and... Um, there's been there's actually like Facebook groups with fifteen and twenty thousand members where um, people have been living on an all meat diet for several years, uh, even decades. Uh, I came upon a book by Wilhelmer Stefansson, an Icelandic uh, explorer, Arctic explorer, uh, who lived with the Inuits and, and lived um, obviously eating their food, which is um, almost all meat. Uh, and, and has done quite an extensive re research into um, like the native Indians and their diets, and, and he also performed a one-year experiment where, uh, where him and his friend was um, closely monitored by uh, medical uh, experts at Bellevue Hospital, and all of their health markers improved, they lost weight, they had no signs of nutritional deficiencies, and... So all in all, I just figured, hey, hey, why the hell not? Uh, let me see what happens, and and, um, and so I did. Right, right. So just just two more basic questions here. Um, one is uh, so so basically, what inspired you to try it is that before you realized that you your energy levels were not quite good, so you had some high reactive hypoglycemia after your meal so so i'm assuming by that you mean that you felt lethargic you 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 have these crash like episodes after eating a high carb meal so um so i guess a, a lot of people would wonder why not just try maybe just a lower carb diet maybe like i don't know something like eating only 100 to 150 grams of carbs which for a larger guy like yourself could be still a low carb diet well if you can name it, I've tried it. So I've tried basically all variations of, of uh, macronutrient uh, ratios. Uh, I, I would actually end up around 150 to 200 grams of carbs quite intuitively. I just 
lowered my carb stepwise and, and focused it around my workouts and also for the final meal. Um, but since my, my workers, workouts are usually around noon, I would have like a high carb meal after my workout and, and my mental performance uh, would suffer for several hours afterwards. And that's like one of the um, high points of my day when it comes to, um, you know, doing client work and, and Skype calls and, and that kind of stuff. So, and also I, I got some, some major cravings, like I would, I would constantly uh, think about food. It was difficult to stay lean. I would have to keep bouncing between a diet and and, and a surplus um, and, and spend more time dieting than actually being in a surplus because I would gain so quickly, even at, at like lower calories than, than uh, most calculations would, would assume. Um, and, and, and just... just um, my digestive issues was probably one of the main reasons where I would feel constantly bloated. Um, I have been trying like a low FODMAP diet. I even tried a 30-day vegan challenge where I ate nothing but, but plant foods and, and um, like tofu and that kind of stuff. Um, so I basically just tried everything uh, to, to see how that would affect me. And I, I still hadn't found anything that made me feel stable and and allowed me to to eat to hunger uh, basically eat to fullness like an ad libitum diet and still stay lean i would constantly have to control my calories um <clears throat> so so I, I think all of these things just led me to to want to try the zero carb diet because i noticed that one of the m main benefits that people reported from the zero carb approach was that their digestive issues just cleared completely up, like everything from constipation to, to diarrhea, to bloating, to, to, to IBS symptoms, to even ulcerous colitis and ulcerous colitis, sorry, and Crohn's disease. And, and people uh, just noticed spontaneous healing almost instantly from, from implementing a zero carb approach where they removed all fiber and all plant matter and, and to, to sort of give their digestive system a rest. And to me, that sounded intuitively correct, since uh, again, my ancestors would would usually spend like at least two or three months out of the year <clears throat> without eating or, or consuming any type of plant matter. So I'm not saying that you should give your colon or, or digestive system a rest from 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 food or from plant foods or whatever food, but. I do believe there's an actual uh, circannual rhythm in, in our food consumption where we don't eat the same thing all year uh, unless you live around the equator where there are basically no seasons. You know, winter and summertime is just a small variation in temperature, and so you, you usually have access to the same foods year round. <clears throat> but at higher latitudes, like up north, um, there's a there's a huge swing in, in what foods we are able to eat uh, throughout the various seasons. So so just just many things made it seem very logical. It, it sort of just struck a nerve with me, and and uh, I thought this sounds this sounds logical. This this sounds like something I could I could do very well on. Right. And, and, uh, and the last, um, question of these basic ones is, um, so, so you ate only meat. So, so no, uh, eggs, even no dairy, no, uh, nothing like that. <clears throat> For the first 30 days, I, I ate all meat, but I did eat some, some eggs as well. <clears throat> so it wasn't strictly an all meat diet uh, for me, but it was an all animal food diet. Um, since, since some people reported feeling much better when they excluded dairy as well, and since it's, uh, it scores really high on the palatability scale, uh, so since it, it can be hard to auto-regulate your appetite when you eat a lot of cheese, for instance, I, I chose to exclude that as well. <clears throat> but after the 30 days, I started uh, reintroducing, uh, you know, both some fish and some dairy, and uh, ate more eggs. <clears throat> I also ate different types of meat during uh, my 30-day experiment, uh, some lamb's meat, uh, some chicken, but mostly beef. 
just to see how it would affect me. And I, I felt mostly fine on, on everything, um, maybe except for, for poultry, like chicken. If I eat a lot of that, I, I, it's, it's almost as if I don't feel as focused or strong. It's, it's hard to explain because it's, it's mostly subjective. But when I reintroduced dairy, uh, that didn't really affect me either way. Um, so for me, I can digest and function well on dairy. And I later also introduced protein powders, and uh, I felt fine on that as well. So, so for me, dairy was was completely fine. But um, your mileage mileage may vary. There are many people that notice that. Um, Anything from from eczema and acne to to uh, uh, mucus production can clear up uh, when they eliminate dairy for for some time. Yeah, um, ac- actually, one comment just because I, I'm concerned that I will forget it. Like one thing that a lot of people don't th- talk about when uh, discussing who the ketogenic diet is applicable for. I think actually a, a big component of that is how robust is your gut? Because if your gut cannot tolerate large amounts of um, low-calorie, high-fiber green veggies, such as broccoli, which are actually often also high FODMAP, then uh, the ketogenic diet will probably be be pretty problematic for you, or you will be just pretty hungry because you will be just eating an extremely low volume, volume of food. Like I, one big reason why I could just not make a ketogenic diet work for me is because my gut just doesn't tolerate those veggies. So that, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's basically one of the key points and probably one of the reasons why the zero-carbon approach works so well for both myself and several people worldwide and, and also a lot of my clients. Because uh, there's, uh, like evolutionary speaking, we would not have, unless you lived in like a trop- tropical climate, you would not have access to plant foods all the time. Um, so our, our digestive system, if you, if you look at it, if you really analyze it, it seems to be more adapted towards digesting meats. Uh, but we are omnivores, which means that we have uh, sort of the capacity to also digest plant matter. But um, <clears throat> I just, you know, I, I basically in this book as well, I posted some links to <clears throat> some vegan sites where there were like hundreds, even a thousand comments below this blog post, vegan blog post about uh, the bloating and digestive issues. And there were people that had been vegans for several years and even all their life. And, and, and they had just sort of gotten used to all the farting and burping and bloating and, and all that stuff. And, and because to them, it was more important to avoid eating animal foods than actually having proper digestive health. Having said that, there are obviously a few vegans that, that um, I, I'm saying a few because <clears throat> I, I, I just haven't personally uh, met too many of them. But, but I, have, I have coached a couple of vegan clients who, who actually thrived on, uh, on plant food. So, so I'm not going to be the dogmatic type and, and say that, well, everyone should eat all meat and, and should avoid plant foods because that's obviously bullshit. We, we don't have any scientific evidence or even anecdote to support that. But for a lot of people, I think during a period without plant foods at all, um, it's, it's both evolutionary, um, an, an evolutionary smart uh, thing to do, since basically most, for most of human history, we we probably had to go through periods without access to plant foods. And so I think our digestive system um, is adapted to having some sort of rest from both eating in general, like intermittent fasting uh, performance will, will fully support, but, but also a complete rest from, um, from eating plant foods. And, and uh, so far, the anecdotal feedback on this is overwhelming in terms of I've, I've had like clients with severe Crohn's disease and, and uh, ulceritis colitis, uh, no, ulcerate, yeah, what's the, what's the term for it? Uh, ulcerous colitis, sorry. Um, IBS, and, and obviously IBS just being an umbrella term for whatever doctors can't actually diagnose uh, in terms of digestive issues. 
and and uh, just 30 days of uh, no plants at all and all protein and fat and, and, and you know all meat, uh, which is what I recommend uh, if if you have severe issues, and and everything is gone. And, and I mean, this is from having suffered for years with with all sorts of digestive issues, and and everything is basically just back to normal within such a short period of time. I would. You know, I'm 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 sort of blown away by by the success rates I, I've seen um, in people uh, suffering from from some severe issues. Uh, just going through that zero carb adaptation phase, and, and at least 30 days in some in some individuals, uh, they they probably need like 60 or even 90 days to to get the full benefits of it. But but I think it's it's uh it, it's something to to at least be open, you know, open your mind to that, that perhaps there's something to it. Perhaps some people actually just um, acquire a, a, an, an imbalance in their gut bacteria um, from, from consuming plant foods in excess all the time and, and just having a break from that. Uh, I'm not saying that it should be permanently, but obviously there are thousands of people in, in, uh, all over the world that that are have adopted an all meat diet and eat nothing but meat for years and and have excellent health but but um, you know like a middle of the road approach I, I would at least consider having a plant free period sometime during the year and um, to see how that works for you if you are suffering from all of these issues uh, you you will go through periods where you feel lethargic and uh, you have mental fog and you f- you feel um, like like you can't perform really well. <clears throat> Obviously, this is very similar to how people feel when they first start a ketogenic diet. And I did measure my ketone levels, and and I did get up into one uh, micromole per liter, uh, which is ketosis by definition. But this was very variable, and and uh, and I had many days that I didn't approach ketosis at all, simply from eating all of that meat. Um, but 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 yeah, I I think that 30 days is the minimal time required to to go through the first couple of weeks of adaptation and and really get a sense uh, of how this will feel for you. Um, and also, like rebalancing the gut microbiome, I, I think that's an important part of it. Um, there has been some some pretty uh, dramatic side effects in terms of uh, well, it, just just things that seem to indicate that there's a huge die-off of certain bacteria and, and even parasites. I had clients report some really strange bowel movements. I'm not going to go into details on that, but but something just seems to, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the term detox, but but there does seem to be some sort of detoxification uh, process going on, where probably bacteria that has been feeding on fiber and, and glucose for such a long time need to die off and, and be uh, removed from the body. So some type of rebalancing going on there, but. Um, for myself, since since I decided, or, or since since I felt so good after 30 days, I decided to stick it out for another 30 days, and um, uh, so, so I think in total I ended up almost at three months. I was like at two months and two weeks or something um, before. This was basically because I I, uh, I did some blood tests. And I wanted to reintroduce carbs and see how that would affect those blood tests. You know, if if any health markers or indicators would change, and uh, you know, for the worse or for the better, or and, and stuff like that. But I I, um, I didn't really feel good when I reintroduced carbs again. You know, I I started to get back all of those uh, carb-based diet symptoms I I had before with bloating. I started gaining some weight. Um, I got some uh, digestive issues again, and, and the huge variation in energy levels, where sometimes you just crash after a meal. Um, and I also uh, tend to have some reactive hypoglycemia once in a while, where my blood sugar goes really low, and and 
uh, for me, it was so low that, you know, I was borderline <laughs> at the level where most people would go into a coma. But I, for some reason, uh, I felt pretty good. <laughs> and um, I've seen that some people after adaptation to a zero-carb diet can actually suffer or not suffer, but they can tolerate really low blood sugar levels without any any side effect at all. So, yeah, just, just a lot of interesting things that maybe want to go back to a zero-carb diet again. So so I'm using that as a, as a base diet now, um, but but I'm, I'm not sort of dogmatic or extreme. And, you know, if I feel like having a piece of chocolate, I will eat some chocolate. If I want to have an apple or a banana or some berries or potato or whatever, I will eat that. So for me personally, it's, it's more of like a flexible zero-carb diet. But... Um, I think for most people, they should at least try the 30-day period completely on an all-meat diet and then sort of reintroduce uh, foods uh, one at a time or food group one at a time. And this is something I devoted a whole chapter to in, in my ebook just to sort of cover all, all my bases. Yeah, so uh, maybe maybe touch. Uh, let's touch uh, for a second on the the elephant in the room because, as we know, um, probably most of the people listening to this are concerned about their body composition. They want to build muscle. They want to lose fat, and they also want to eat in a way that allows them to not be hungry and still still control their calories. So, so maybe let's touch on that for a second. So, what did you experience body composition wise? Um, and what did you experience in terms of uh, gym performance, hunger levels, all, all that kind of stuff? How did that change when you were fully adapted to this diet? Well, for me, I, I you know, it was pretty dramatic because I had been dieting for many, many weeks and, and actually stagnated around 100 kilos, uh, around 12% body fat. Of course, this is only estimated from uh, using calipers. So that that might actually be on on the on the low side, um, but but when I when I started on the zero carb diet, the first couple of days you obviously lose weight because you there are water shifts in the body and you lose some glycogen and, and sort of flatten out a little. But uh, even even though I tried to keep my calories up, um, I found this diet to be so satiating that that I actually had. I wasn't hungry at all. There was it was sort of a different type of hunger where I would just start feeling weak, but I didn't have like any cravings or feel like I needed to eat. It was just that my body was trying to tell me that I should eat. So so it was it was like a really strange experience. This um, and and so I probably dropped like two kilos just the first week. Then that sort of leveled off a little, but. I still lost like half to one kilo per week. So over the six-week period, I dropped five kilos. Uh, I dropped almost six centimeters from my waist. And uh, like most measurements, uh, dropped from like my ab measurements on, on the calipers was stuck around eight millimeters, and that dropped to like four and five millimeters. And uh, like the lower back area, which is usually the last thing to go, also started uh, dropping almost like fat melted off me. That you know, that that's the best term I can use for describing it. It was like a daily change. Uh, and people that just saw me at the gym like a, a couple of times per week would would sort of start commenting on it. Hey, what what are you up to? What what are you doing? Are you dieting or something? Even though I had been dieting for at least two months, now they started noticing. So something was going on, and, and even my face started thin, thinning out. Um, I, I I tend to have a lot of water retention in, in my face, you know. Um, uh, but but on this diet, I, everything just sort of, uh, you know, uh, my my cheek my cheeks were almost sucked in, and and. Uh, it was just a radical change in, in everything. As far as energy levels, uh, more stable energy levels. I started waking earlier in the morning. Um, I felt more awake throughout the day. I was still sleepy um, in the evenings when I wanted to go to bed. So like around 9 or 10 p.m., I would get really sleepy. 
it was like a much deeper sleep, uh, at least for me. I've had clients that did sort of wake up a couple of times during the night and, and almost as if they had this, this uh, like stress uh, reaction or something. Um, but, but once once I, I increased their calories, uh, then, then everything sort of fell into place. Um, gym performance was um, pretty good the first couple of days. Then it really tanked. I didn't, you know, my my, uh, my strength um, dropped. Um, I got this like almost walking through mud feeling in my legs. Like it was almost like I, I needed to spend effort just lifting my legs, walking up uh, a set of stairs. And so I thought, oh my God, what's going on? Maybe this is not good for me, but I decided to, to battle it out because uh, I had been warned that this would be uh, a side effect uh, going through the adaptation period. And around the end of week two and into week three, I just started feeling so much better. And uh, my gym performance was back up uh, where it was before I started, uh, even before I started the the, the diet, the carb-based diet, uh, was back up to, to that level. And uh, my joints started hurting less, joints and tendons. You know, I'm an older guy, and I've been lifting since, uh, you know, forever, for 30 years. So I've suffered uh, my, my strain of injuries. And, um, and so that sort of just subsided. It was more like uh, instead of having that stiff feeling every morning when I woke up, uh, well, I do. I, I did have one stiff feeling, but let's not go into that. Um, everything just, just seemed to work better. And, and so obviously from all the water loss, there was some inflammation. And this was also confirmed on blood tests where my CRP level was actually zero. CRP is like C-reactive protein. A marker for inflammation in the body, and, and uh, it it had usually been around uh, you know one to two, even up to three sometimes. Uh, now it just dropped to zero. So so there was definitely something going on there. Um, and 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 sort of the flat feeling I talked about, where where my muscles seemed to to be sort of flat because they lost the glycogen. Um, that the fullness came back uh, into week three and four. Uh, where I even felt that that you know there was like a certain pop to them. Uh, I just got this amazing pump when I was in the gym uh, because I don't know things just seemed to work a lot better. And um, obviously eating a lot of meat, which is both full of creatine and you get some gluconeogenesis going from eating all of that protein and. Uh, the, I didn't feel like my glycogen stores were depleted at all. Um, and even the pictures, the before and afters that I used in my blog post and, and the book, uh, I, I think it's really apparent that, that my muscle fullness improved. Um, and, and I just had an overall, you know, both a visual, uh, obvious visual change in body composition, but, but also measurable since my body weight dropped I was all the way down to 94 kilos at the lowest point, uh, but then stabilized around 95, 96. So like a net loss of around four to five kilos. And <clears throat> I, I actually got like a BIA measurement that showed me at 8% body fat. I'm pretty sure that underestimated it. So I'm, I'm probably closer to maybe eight or 9% some, somewhere around there. But um, yeah, just looking at the numbers, it seemed as if I gained at least half a kilo of uh, lean mass and dropped five kilos of of uh, combination of fat mass and, and water retention. So so yeah, it was all good. Yeah, it's actually it's it's very interesting to listen to this. Like it bring brings to mind a couple of things. Like um, like one thing is is when I first read about when I first read your ebook, I was right away pretty intrigued actually to, to try this i'm kind of on the on the the fence about about it to some degree because i'm actually i think one of those individuals who tolerates carbs pretty well like when i eat a high carb meal i almost never get sleepy i almost get this uh almost euphoric energetic feeling but at the same time when it comes to the gut stuff um 
generally my rule of thumb is to eat the most amount of fiber I can without causing myself gastrointestinal distress. But right now that fiber amount is pretty low. Like this is pretty much uh, uh, the first time in a long while when um, I'm eating eating some high fruit and veggie type of meal and I'm just bloated after that. My, my weight fluctuates a lot because of these things. So maybe I'm at one of those points in my journey like you mentioned when i would benefit from eliminating plant foods for a while it, it seems like yeah and, and another point there is is that both for myself and um and my clients because because um obviously a lot of people will will want to do this experiment just to try it out and and then later on while this is not something that i find like socially acceptable and I miss eating this or that food, and I, I don't think I can live uh, like this. And and you know that's fine. You know that's up to the client. I'm not going to try to convince them then that this is uh, no, no. You're supposed to eat this way the rest of your life. And uh, what are you doing? And you know, but the feedback I got was that their digestive function was like 95% improved when they started reintroducing foods again. And I noticed this myself. I, I would have certain foods that would bloat me up like crazy uh, before, but after the zero carb experiment, when I reintroduced those foods again, I would feel pretty good, at least for a while. But over several days, if I kept eating that, I would start to get some of those symptoms back. But but in general, it just felt like my tolerance to to fiber and and sort of uh, you know high fodmap foods and and whatever just improved tremendously uh, after my zero-carb experiment. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that uh, that was interesting that you wrote about in, in your book is that uh, having a lack of bowel movements for a few days is not necessarily a, a red flag. I remember actually trying a zero-carb type of deal a few years ago when I was basically eating nothing but eggs, beef, and, and things like that. And uh, I was absent from the toilet basically for like five or six days and it just scared the shit out of me no pun intended no pun and, intended. <laughs> and, 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 and actually that spiraled me into a, a very long time of gut issues but the caveat there is that uh, what I did because I was scared uh, is that I introduced a lot of uh, broccoli and things like that which, are, which was probably the worst thing I could, could have done at the time because those are pretty offensive foods in that regard so um, so when, when someone is actually not going to the toilet for a while after doing this kind of thing, is that something to be expected and something that should be expected to go away after some time? Yeah, I think, uh, actually a lot of people experience either that, like what feels like constipation or they get really loose stools, you know, like diarrhea for a while. And, and, and I think it's all, it, 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 it tends to be part of the process. It's something to be expected as for the, the feeling of constipation or the lack of bowel movements, that's because on a carb and plant-based diet, there's the volume of food is, is huge. I mean, I think if you weigh yourself before and after a toilet visit, you will see that you have dropped like, you know, a half a kilo or something. That's that, that can be like a normal bowel movement for most people. And, and so a normal bowel movement on this diet might be one fifth of that, like a hundred grams. And so in the beginning, the, the colon is to resensitize, to actually produce a bowel movement from the smaller volume of mass that's in there. And um, th that was, you know, not that I'm going to go into details, but the first few days I didn't go to the bathroom at all. And then I started becoming a regular. So it was like... Uh, you know, a 10 second bowel movement and, and then, you know, wipe and you're ready to go, basically. But when I went back to my car-based diet, you know, since I wanted to do that for uh, like getting blood tests and stuff, I actually had to go to the bathroom bathroom like three times in one day. And I didn't, I, w I wasn't eating a lot of carbs or fiber foods. You know, I, I went, I, I was careful when I reintroduced it. But my colon had, had sort of resensitized to such a low mass that now I, I got the urge anytime just 
like a small mass entered my colon and I, I had to go to the bathroom. So that was sort of a nuisance when when I reintroduced the carb foods. And and, and I think many pre- people have digestive issues uh, simply because it's such a large mass that needs to move through the system at all times because they're eating such high amounts of fiber. And, and um, going through that adaptation phase and the zero-carb phase to sort of resensitize the colon, I think... Is, uh can only be a good thing. Yeah, and and um, speaking of uh, volume of food, what did, did you experience? Kind of an adjustment period in terms of uh, your hunger and appetite adjusting, because because that's one kind of uh, fear that I have before trying something like this. That we in the fitness bodybuilding world, many of us kind of get used to eating a high volume of food to manage appetite and hunger because we are leaner than the average person. So we kind of have to manage manage our appetite a little bit more carefully. Um, so was there kind of an adjustment period when first your appetite had to adjust to a lower general volume of food that you were eating? For me, no, not at all. I, I actually had to intentionally force myself to eat more just to stay to to keep my calories up uh like i mentioned my hunger would be sort of different like almost like this dull feeling of uh lack of energy that 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 you know uh, and also because i was used to eating three meals per day so i would generally start to feel sort of this weird type of hunger around those meal times but sort of the physical hunger, the craving type hunger that I tend to get with, with carbs where like my blood sugar drops and, and I start to get cranky and angry and hangry and all that stuff. That was non-existent. And, and I, I, I have yet to hear from any client that they felt more hungry eating like this. So, so the lack of um, a volume in, in stretching the stomach was, was actually very welcome a very welcome side effect since most people were so used to being having their stomach stick out after every meal but on this meal you just have such a low mass in in the belly that it's still flat uh and and obviously that's that's uh, an additional uh reason why waist measurement drops so much uh not just all because of the fat loss around the waist, but also because there's so much less volume in in uh, in your colon at all times. But but yeah, I, I don't. I I actually had to count calories for a while just to make sure that I got sufficient uh, foods in. And um, I also noticed that to avoid dropping too fast in weight, you know, at the risk risk of losing. Uh, uh, muscle mass, I, I had to eat probably 800 calories more than I than I was stuck on my carb-based diet. So I'm not claiming any metabolic magic or anything, but it did seem to change the P-ratio or sort of the nutrient partitioning for myself. So so I could get away with eating more and, and, uh, and still uh, lose body fat. And, and what do you attribute that to? Is it because you just felt so much better that you moved a lot more? Or what would be your hypothesis there? I think my hypothesis is simply because I don't believe in the whole, um, you know, you can look at you can look at the, the body like a black box, the black box model where calories in, calories out. And I fully support that. But uh, if you look inside the black box, I, I think there are, various things going on internally in terms of nutrient partitioning, meaning where do the body or what what does the body do with the incoming calories and the stored calories? Does it direct it to muscle building, recovery, um, energy production, meaning that it, it can produce movement? I actually increased my body temperature by the half by half a degree. Like it went from thirty six point five and I was up uh, into which is supposed to be normal, 37.0. I tend to run cold. My body temperature tends to run cold. But on this diet, it finally came up to where it's, it was supposed to, to be. So there are def- definite, definitely some individual uh, results going on there. But um, at least for the clients that I tried this diet on, and obviously for myself, it, it seemed to do some sort of... Uh, 
I don't know, loss of inflammation, probably increased um, metabolism in terms of both BMR or at least maintained BMR um, in, in spite of the weight loss and uh, NEAT was improved. I, I just generally had more energy, so I would obviously, I didn't track my uh, my activity level uh, precisely with a with a monitor, but but yes, objectively, I think I, I definitely moved around a little more. Um, but it, it it just generally felt like fat was being used more for energy, and and incoming nutrients was uh, being used for um, for for recovery and and um, and even muscle growth. Um, and energy production. So, so just you know, all of those things things added together seem to create the benefits. So, so I'm not claiming any sort of magic here at all. Uh, it can it can all be explained, but but um, you know, like I always say, I, I tend to consider nutrition as something individual, not general. So I have provided like an overview of um, what criteria I I feel. Um, uh, tend tend to determine what type of diet you will feel best on, and uh, and if you fit within those criteria, for instance, having a low carb tolerance, then then this sort of diet will definitely be ad advantageous for you in many regards. Right. Um, so one thing that uh, was a was a common question when I posted in uh, somewhere that uh, I will be chatting with you. Uh, some of the more common questions were uh, on the line of how did your blood work look? So you mentioned that your inflammation was lower and uh, at some point you measured your ketones. Was there anything else that you looked out for? Yeah, I just got like a general blood panel looking at everything and um, and uh, like v vitamin, mineral status uh, and everything was perfect. Um, my... HDL cholesterol uh, increased. My triglycerides were normal. Um, my magnesium was that was actually a little high, but but that was probably because I had been using the uh, ZMA formula for a while, and so I dropped using that. Um, my LDL cholesterol was actually elevated. That that was you know actually too high. It was so high that my doctor warned me and told me I should be on stat statins to lower it. So obviously I started researching this because one of my clients experienced the same uh, result. Um, and he had basically, it was very similar to me in, in terms of body composition. You know, he was like a hundred kilo guy, very lean uh, and got even leaner and, and lost a lot of weight. And I started researching this and I, I came over... Um, the writings of Dave Feldman of Cholesterol Code, where he had actually created a term for this, and he called it the lean mass hyperresponder. And it, it, it's it's just sort of the, the whole concept is that some of the leaner, more muscular guys, uh, when you switch to a ketogenic diet or a zero-carb diet, the LDL um, particle size will increase. And so you will measure a higher LDL on your, your blood test, but that's simply because it's trafficking more lipids around the body. And, uh, you know, I, I go into the whole thing in, in my ebook, uh, sort of to, to provide a uh, better understanding of it. But I think we should be careful to state outright that, well, elevated LDL on its own is a risk factor for heart disease because this is sort of uh, extrapolated from a lot of correlational research on a Western diet in a normal population. And you can't necessarily say that this applies to a leaner muscular guy training five to six days per week, uh, losing a lot of weight, losing a lot of body weight, and all other health markers are basically perfect. So why should that one marker of LDL be an indicator of uh, cardiovascular disease risk? And um, I think it's an interesting question that we don't really have a good answer for yet, but it begs the question that maybe we should, you know, uh, reevaluate some of the recommendations and, and uh, 
at least on a general population level, obviously you shouldn't change all of those uh, rules and and, um, and indicators. But I think you should at least allow for some leeway when it comes to one of the more both extreme diet approaches and also extreme uh, individual physical attributes. Right. Um, so just just to, to give people an idea, what what kind of um macronutrient amounts are, are we talking about here so uh when you're eating only meat obviously probably your protein intake uh will be higher than what would be quote unquote needed for for building muscle as as per recommendations from most uh based on the scientific consensus these days right yeah yeah so um a lot of people in the zero-carb community uh, tend to recommend that you should eat one gram of protein to one gram of fat, and because that's what they feel best on. I do think that that seems to be more optimal for general the general population on the zero-carb diet that are not training and are not really, you know, maybe they have some health issues, maybe they just want to lose some weight, whatever. Um, I just don't feel very good if I eat a lot of fat, and especially not if I need to add fats to my food just to get the fat content up. So I, I did try that, but that sort of uh, uh, felt like the keto diet did, you know, where you had to intentionally limit uh, eating meat and you know add butter or you know fat sources to everything. That just didn't feel natural. So to me, I just eat fattier cuts of meat and um, some eggs, obviously. I did have some dairy after the 30-day period simply because, you know, I could I can eat dairy. I, I feel fine on it. And uh, my macros would usually range between 250 grams of protein and even up to 350 grams of protein on some days just because I was really hungry on those days. Whereas my fat intake would range from... Um, yeah, probably 150 to 250. So on average, 60%, 50 to 60% protein, 40 to 50% fats in terms of uh, uh, calories. Uh, that, that would be, yeah, on average where, where I ended up. But but like I said, I, I uh, on some days I would track foods just to see where I was at. And so I, I because I kind of needed to readjust my my food intake to to get sufficient foods. Um, but on most days I would just eat by instinct, by intuition. And um, uh, to lean out, you can you can even eat leaner meats uh, simply because that's almost as satiating as eating fatty cuts of meat. But I definitely feel best when I have like a moderate fat intake, but but a high protein intake, and uh, that's just what fits me and my personality and my needs. Uh, and and I think most lifters would also thrive on having their protein intake higher in grams than their fat intake. But I think uh, everyone should just experiment and see what they feel better on. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I have to say, I'm, I'm really very intrigued. I'm a little bit cautious uh, before trying it out, just because my social life, which often involves food and, and even alcohol, is pretty active right now. But maybe as a like a New Year's challenge, it, it will be a cool, cool thing for me to try out. Uh, I, I can agree, and and uh, this is also one of the more common feedbacks I got from clients that, you know, because people around me like my family. Family and friends, they're, they're used to me doing weird shit. So they didn't really comment much of anything. Um, and I found it easy to travel. You know, my, my travel tip, I posted it on Instagram the, the other day. I just bring this tabletop grill that costs like $20, $25. And I, I fry up steaks and, and ground meat in my hotel room. Um, it's, so it's, I think it's very simple and easy for traveling as well. And you can find meat anywhere in the world. Uh, I mean, meat, fish, whatever. Um, so, so that for me wasn't really, uh, an issue, but, but yeah, of course, when you, when we went to visit like the grandparents of my wife, that was obviously an issue because they had, they, they served cake and they served, you know, food that, that, uh, wasn't compliant with a zero carb diet. So, you know, I, I, 
sometimes I would have some of that, you know, sometimes you just need to put it on your plate and eat some of it to avoid any uh, attention or discussion. Uh, around Christmas time, I know it's it can be difficult because people are used to by tradition by to eating like certain cakes and certain treats for Christmas. So I, I obviously don't force people to to follow it strictly during that time. Um, but I, I think people should just generally feel what makes them feel the most healthy and, and give the the best results instead of eating what they crave because they have been programmed to, you know, you know, you're used to eating chocolate as a treat, so you, you will keep treating yourself with chocolate. Uh, but the funny thing about this diet is that all sorts of cravings just kind of disappear. I mean, I would, I would stand in line to get coffee, uh, and there would be rows and rows of cakes and, and, and bakery goods that, that I would usually find really, you know, tasty and, and, uh, and interesting. But, but on this diet, it was almost as if, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really want that. I don't really need that. I just feel good on what I'm eating now. So, uh, it's, it's almost like to have sort of this wholesome, satiated, uh, complete sort of fullness. And, and it, uh, my guess is that it, it just sort of, since you avoid eating all types of sweets for 30 days, it sort of rebalances the the brain chemistry. So you don't get all of these hits of dopamine and serotonin, even even if you just look at sweet foods. And uh, I would also find when I reintroduced um, carbs, uh, you know, for the blood test that, which by the way, it tended to uh, actually worsen a lot of my uh, my health markers. Even if my LDL dropped, when I reintroduced carbs, a lot of my health markers and my CRP went to hell. Um, but but again, that's I, I digress. But but I I did notice when I reintroduced carbs that just one piece of chocolate would would be almost too sweet. It was like this, wow, that's just that's just too much. It would be um, overly sweet. Whereas before I could easily eat like several pieces and it wouldn't face me. So so something is is uh, is going on in the brain as well, some sort of rebalancing thing. And I think another client story I would like to mention, and, and she would be uh, convinced that nothing I could do would wean her off the need for having sweets every weekend, and especially chocolate. And she also was like... Um, in her own words, addicted to red wine. So she needed to drink at least one glass every evening, and it would end up being like one or even two bottles during the weekend. But after this 30-day phase, she didn't want red wine, and she didn't want any sweets, even when I told her, well, now it's okay for this weekend, since the 30 days are over. You can have a glass of wine if you want. You can have the sweets of your choice. Just sort of go easy on it. And she emailed me, the Monday after and told me, you know what, when I was offered a glass of wine, when I had the opportunity to have the chocolate, I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want it. So I just find that really, really interesting. Of course, your mileage may vary, but but uh, I have seen these types of results in several clients now. So so there's definitely something interesting going on there. Yeah, that that's a very underrated aspect of of uh, managing cravings and nutrition that a lot of people don't know until they experience it is that your palate really do readjust. Like I remember at some point uh sweetening stuff to the point where diet coke didn't taste sweet to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. So uh yeah, yeah uh, at this point I I'm fully aware that I'm being abusive of your time. So just one last question before I actually ask you when people can find your work on this is that uh because I've seen you receiving a lot of attack on Facebook when you, you posted about this experiment, a lot of cynical comments and uh, kind of um, talking to you in a condescending way, I think mainly because it kind of became a very politically correct or accepted thing to attack low-carb type of um, protocols these days. And... Um, you are friends with a lot of uh, big names in the industry. You know, you mentioned Menno, but you're also friends with Ellen Aragon, uh, James Krieger, all these guys. I don't know. Have you talked to them about this experiment of yours? And what, if they, you did, what was their general feedback and, and thinking of, of it? 
Well, I think uh, I think part of being in the fitness industry is that you have to dare to be polarizing sometimes, and and so sometimes the part of being polarizing implies that you need to attack things that are sort of opposite to to your own views. But in person, a lot of these guys, we we are good friends, and we we get along really well, and we don't start criticizing what 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 they are posting or or doing uh in their personal or on their or even in their professional lives we are more intrigued than curious so it's kind of you know it's a, it's kind of a shame to see that there are so many internet battles online uh where where some of the followers even want their um their idols to to pick battles with each other and and call it call each other out you know i i will i would get some of my statuses, I would get people tagging um, Alan Aragon or Mike Israel or whatever, uh, depending on what I what I stated. But but um, I, I think most of us are are curious. I mean, we want to learn. We we are still, uh, at least in my case, I, I'm still humble. I mean, I have managed to preserve my humility. I, I realize there's so much more to learn, and I don't think I have the one and only answer to anything. And uh, I'm still not being dogmatic about it, like I said. I, I don't claim that this is the end-all, be-all diet that everyone should eat. I just post about my experiment. And so I, I've received nothing but positive feedback from uh, my colleagues about this, that uh, the usual response is, wow, that's interesting. you know. And uh, I think just that that speaks volumes about the quality of these guys uh, that that they they can be so accepting. I think the only thing they're not accepting of is people posting as experts or pretending to be experts and posting really stupid shit without any scientific foundation. Uh, and and uh, you know I can I can totally resonate with that. But at least among uh, us, I don't know. As respected evidence-based fitness industry people, uh, we have so much mutual respect and admiration that we can actually discuss this without any any bad or negative uh, words being spoken. That's great. So um, cool. I think we, despite all the technical difficulties we faced, we actually managed to go pretty deep and we didn't cover everything, but we covered at least a good amount of ground. So thank you so much for doing this. And just uh, finally, just tell people where they can find out more about this experiment of yours and um, all the re resources that you've created on this for people to share out. Well, you can go to my website, borgefagerly.com. Um, it's the blog post about my zero-carb experiment. And if you provide your name and email there, you can get a free PDF uh, explaining explaining how to do the 30-day experiment with just some basic guidelines. And if you want to dig deeper into it, you can get um, the Zero Carb ebook, and it's bundled with the MyReps ebook, and you know recipes and all that uh, fun stuff. So, and I I actually put I actually. Um, uh, I I, uh, I published it for only like a ten dollar and pay as much as you want, but you know at least ten dollars to cover the publishing cost. And I think most questions that people have will be answered in those ebooks. So if they really want some in-depth knowledge and, and and background information, they should buy that. If they just want a simple, easy recipe, then just read my blog post and get the free PDF, and they should be good to go. That sounds like an awesome deal for people, and um, yeah, I, I am very excited that uh, that you put this all of this thing out. I had the chance of reading your ebook, and uh, yeah, I finished it within one night, and it was a really fascinating read. So I really recommend people to go ahead and check it out. So Berget, thank you so much for doing this, and um, yeah, keep up the good work. So that was my interview with Berget Fagerly about his zero carb experiment. Um, I think it can be a very interesting thing to try out and I'm actually kind of contemplating to try it out myself. I think that trying this experiment can be very beneficial potentially from a gut health perspective. Now, if you have great digestion, you have no issues with all kinds of different foods and you tolerate fibrous plant foods well, then it probably is not warranted 
from that perspective. But like I said during the call, for myself at this stage, for example, right now, I feel like my gut is just not very... Uh, for lack of a better term, robust. So I can just throw a whole bunch of random food types at it because it just gets pissed off. And you know, this used not to be the case, but now it is. So maybe that could be a good indication for me to try it out. Another thing that it could be an interesting prospect for many people is how it could impact your palate, food cravings, and just overall relationship with food. Uh, I think there are a few interesting things that happen when you do something radical and you completely eliminate an entire class of foods from your diet or, or your life. Because for one, it dramatically reduces the amount of brain space and thinking time that you will dedicate to the whole act of eating. Because if breakfast, lunch, and dinner is all steak, then there's just not much thinking to do. And this can actually have great benefits in terms of productivity. I guess um it's similar to when people do a one-week fast or something. They often talk about how they got a ton of stuff done during that time simply because there was so much less time wasted. Um, then another thing, it will unquestionably reset your palate greatly. So I think uh, from experience, anyone can tell you that you kind of get used to eating certain flavors of food and your standards get adjusted accordingly. So you know, as I said, uh, in my hardcore dieting days, I used to, I used so much sweetener that even Diet Coke tasted bland at one point. And of course, it's no longer that way. I mean, that was pretty extreme, but it obviously works the other way around too. So if you go without these sweet, carby foods and even without sweetener, which is one recommendation that Berget makes in the book, you'll probably experience that once you reintroduce carbs, things like carrots, things like lower sugar fruits, which are normally not that sweet, will just taste unbelievably sweet and delicious. And then thirdly, I think it's at least very feasible that it can reset a lot of your brain circuits that contributed to a lot of your cravings if you had those. As um, in a sense, it's a behavioral detox where you eliminate all behaviors that surrounded up until now your tendency to maybe overeat certain foods or simply include foods on a regular basis into your diet that were not conducive to your goals or that contributed to your cravings. So it's kind of similar to the no-fat porn detox, which I talked about with Gary Wilson. I'm obviously not going to get into that here, but the point there is that guys who develop problems with porn use, they often have to withdraw from all kinds of sexual stimulation, not just quit porn, to kind of reset their brain circuits and to be interested in real partners once again. But anyway, if you're <laughs> curious about that, check out my episode with Gary Wilson from yourbrainonporn.com. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a weird note to finish on. But uh, bottom line, I think there can be very interesting benefits to trying this out. I may give it a go myself in, in mid-January to February uh, once the holiday craze is over. The thing in my case, though, right now is that I do go out to eat and or drink with friends once or twice a week at least, usually, and having this kind of detox could be problematic, but uh, I mean, if I was to live my old ascetic fitness lifestyle, I probably would have given it a go already, uh, but you know, I may create my own version for myself, like, you know, all meat diet plus red wine or something, um, but anyway, I probably shouldn't say such things, I'm setting kind of a wrong example here. Um, but anyway, if you're curious about more indications, contraindications, and uh, specific recommendations regarding this diet, I highly recommend that you check out Berge's book. There will be a link in the description of this podcast, which may become an affiliate link. So if you do decide to order from that link, I highly appreciate it. And at any rate, thanks for hanging around. I wish you a holy jolly, super fun new year. Sorry, actually... I'll say it in Macedonian and Hungarian as well. So in Macedonian, it will be Srekna Novagodina, and in Hungarian, it will be Boldog Uyevet. So anyway, see you all next time.